listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's gonna stop Christ? Who's gonna stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you live today from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma. And just a reminder that you can listen to any KPCG programs at any time at kpcg.fm. There's a live link there. There's also archives of all the shows. Well, everyone here on this Edmond campus and a lot of people around the world who are members of the Philadelphia Church of God are really on a high to this day because yesterday was the premiere of a new production at Armstrong Auditorium, Celtic Throne. This is a musical, dance, singing spectacle. And I'm not even exaggerating when I say it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I'm not just talking about shows at Armstrong Auditorium or even shows produced by anybody in general, but just the lights, the dancing, the choreography, the costumes, the intensity. The show was in parts joyful and exuberant. At other times, though, it was also terrifying and sobering. And all of that would have been certainly more than enough for an enjoyable show. But every time I thought about the deep significance behind this show, I was moved to the edge of tears. Not quite crying, but probably about five times throughout the show, I thought about what that show was really all about beyond the lights, beyond the display, the dazzling display at Armstrong Auditorium. Here is what shows on the screen at the very beginning of Celtic Throne, and this is also printed out in the program. It says, 3,000 years ago, a great king arose in Jerusalem. He loved music and dance, and he inspired his people to love it too. The king's love of music and dance followed his royal descendants as they moved through many nations, particularly Ireland, Scotland, England, and the United States. This epic journey unfolded over millennia and was not without trial and tribulation. Through it all, they carried their great patriarch's deep love of music and dance. This is the royal journey of Irish dance. This is the story of Celtic Throne. So even as I was reading that at the start of the show, I was about to cry. I couldn't even hardly hold it together yesterday. Just totally overwhelming for the entire almost two hours that it lasted, including an intermission. So really, the show itself was more like an hour and a half. But what is this show really all about? If you are not too familiar with God's work today and with the message that this work distributes, you might be racking your brain trying to figure out what throne actually moved 
from Jerusalem to Ireland to Scotland to England and to the United States. What singular kingly line has been in all of those places? It's going to be really hard for you to figure out without understanding God's perspective on this. Without God's perspective, this show is about little more than an obscure kingly line that was established in the ancient nation of Judah about 3,000 years ago. And sure, maybe the transitions of that throne to different nations is an interesting story to tell and makes for quite an incredible production. But what is the real significance behind all of that? This is a story that is truly stranger than any fiction. It's more riveting than any fiction. And we have to understand it to really try to comprehend why God's work places such high priority on a kingly line like this. There has to be, obviously, quite a lot more to it than just physical descendants on a throne that was established thousands of years ago. Here's what it says in 2 Samuel 7. This is verses 12 through 14. And this will start to give us an idea of why this throne is still relevant to this day, even though it was established around 1000 BC. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 14, and this is God speaking through the prophet Nathan to King David. And when your days be fulfilled and you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, which shall proceed out of your bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. So here we're starting to see the significance of this kingly line of David. God promised that David's line would exist forever. And there's not even a qualification to this promise. Sadly, many students of the Bible have had their faith irreparably shaken because they just couldn't seem to track where this throne went. Now, this throne has gone through a lot of turmoil as the Celtic throne production we witnessed yesterday does show. This throne has been overturned. It has experienced a lot of trials. There has been an all-out attack against it to abolish it and thus make God a liar. And yet, that throne does still exist to this day. It has to because God promised that it would. So that's just part of why the Celtic throne production is so important and so meaningful to us because it is talking about a throne still in existence today. And of course, by throne, I just am talking about a kingly line. The physical seat is not quite so important. This kingly line, descendants of David, one by one, 
without any breaks, ruling for thousands and thousands of years. Like I said, no interruption to that. It has to be a continual kingly line or else God has lied to us. Sadly, that is what a lot of people who have studied this promise end up thinking. There's a book available to you for free at thetrumpet.com, though. It's written by the late educator and theologian Herbert W. Armstrong, and it is titled The United States and Britain in Prophecy. Chapter 5 is titled The Davidic Covenant. And Mr. Armstrong explains just exactly what happened to this throne and how in 585 B.C., a descendant of David, King Zedekiah was blinded and he died in prison in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar completely crushed Judah and took them into slavery. All of Zedekiah's heirs, all the nobles of Judah were slaughtered which Zedekiah actually had to witness before they put his eyes out. Just a terrible way to end his life, seeing the deaths of all of his family members and then dying in prison. But they destroyed Jerusalem. They burned the temple. They burned all the king's houses. And they used the Jews as slaves. This is where a lot of people believe that the line of King David ended. And of course, today, if you do look at the modern descendants of ancient Judah, which confusingly enough is actually called Israel today, they don't have a king. So that could even introduce some more doubt to students of the Bible. Now, there's also some confusion here as to whom God was speaking about when he said that David's line would be established forever. Some say that this is only referring to Jesus Christ. Far in the future, God will establish David's kingly line only in the future through Christ. But remember, 2 Samuel 7 verse 14 is talking about one of David's descendants, And it says, if he commit iniquity, so if he sin, I will chasten him with the rod of men. Of course, Christ for all eternity has never sinned. This is talking about a physical, flesh and blood, carnal, mortal human being. Because only a human being, not a God, would sin. So this is talking about a physical line from King David onward. And we'll get into some more of the spiritual parts at the end here. But it is a physical line that is everlasting. There will always be a descendant of David to sit on the throne. And we have to trust in that promise, even when we see devastation of King David's line what the Babylonians did to the Jews in 585 B.C. That was the end of a 19-year siege, by the way. 604 to 585, just surrounding the Jews, 
starving them, forcing them to turn to cannibalism, all kinds of unspeakable horrors that the Jews face because of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And it finally ended with their total defeat in 585 B.C. And like Mr. Armstrong says, the Bible reveals this mystery step by step. It does show us exactly where that kingly line went after this seeming end of the line. We can find the truth about this. There's more promises throughout the Bible of this endless kingly line. Psalm 89 verse 28 says, My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. Again, that's talking about God's promise to King David. A throne that lasts as long as heaven does. Heaven has lasted for all this time. And the throne will too. Mr. Armstrong describes here, talking about this passage. Now while his throne is enduring through all generations as the days of heaven, consider the next verse. So the next verse being... Psalm 89, verse 29. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. So that's actually verses 30 through 37, a longer passage there. But it just shows you that yes, even if, King David's descendants rebel. Even if they turn from the Ten Commandments, which ruled the ancient nation of Israel, and then the ancient nations of Israel and Judah, once the nation split into those two separate kingdoms, even if David's descendants rebelled, that kingly line would still endure. So what I'm saying here is that this is an unconditional promise. It doesn't matter what David's descendants did. There would still be one of his descendants to rule from his throne. And the reason that's so interesting is because right before King David ruled, King Saul's dynasty was actually cut off. One of Saul's sons ruled for a couple years. And then his dynasty ceased forever. God completely rejected Saul. Yet, even if David's descendants were to rebel like Saul did, God had already promised not to take away the throne from them like he did from Saul. 
Saul's dynasty ended, but David's dynasty never will. And it's also interesting because when God says forever, he really means forever. Forever is a period of time without a starting point. So really, it's not a period of time at all. Forever is literal. God takes the actual definition of that word. There is no ending to David's throne. Even if you look billions of years into the future, this throne will still be there. And again, sometimes that goes despite some of the seeming physical evidence. That throne is still around. So Celtic throne really is about that throne. That throne of David, that endless kingly line. And as this production shows, as other productions at Armstrong Auditorium have shown in the years past, this throne has moved around over the years. There have been survivors to continue that line even after Babylonian destruction. And sometimes this throne has ruled over different groups of people. So not always over just the ancient nation of Judah or the descendants today known as the Jews. This throne has also ruled over different groups. God does things in mysterious ways. We can't always figure it out if we're just thinking about it on a physical, humanly level. But a lot of light on this subject is shed by the prophet Jeremiah. And he actually said something that certainly does prove that this throne actually did rule over someone besides the Jews. Uh, this is uh, in, in the book of Jeremiah, which, of course, the prophet Jeremiah wrote. And this is in, I believe, chapter 33. But it's talking about how this throne would actually rule over the house of Israel at some point. Not just over the house of Judah, but over the house of Israel. And that's why it's so important to understand that those nations were separate nations in history. And in fact, the first time the kingdom of Judah is mentioned in the Bible, you can look into the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, but you can see how the kingdom of Judah, the first time it's mentioned, is actually at war with the nation of Israel. They were two separate nations. And yet here it's saying, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Even though David's line was initially over the house of Judah, now it's saying that that line would also at some point, be over the house of Israel. That was a separate nation. And to this day, those descendants of ancient Israel are separate nations from the descendants of ancient Judah. And you can learn all about that. You can prove that in detail by studying that free book that we have at thetrumpet.com. 
the United States and Britain in prophecy. So Jeremiah 33 verse 17 says that God will never or that David will never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. David will never lack someone to sit upon that throne. And as you can also prove in Jeremiah chapter 1, part of Jeremiah's job was to uproot that throne from the Jews and transition it into a throne over Israel. That's what all these transitions, all these movements of the throne depicted in in the Celtic throne production are all about. This throne really did move from nation to nation. And no, God's work is not just focusing on these nations because of any racial aspect at all. It's not that we favor certain nations over others. It is just a sincere appreciation for God fulfilling this promise. This promise really does run as a central thread throughout the entire Bible. One kingly line established 3,000 years ago that will last for all eternity. And it's not just about the Jews or Ireland or Scotland or England or the United States. It is about all mankind. So if you're not from one of those nations, it doesn't mean that this subject has no relevance to you. It is important to all of us. In fact, Revelation 22 verse 16 gives us a clear understanding of why so much emphasis is placed on this one kingly line in the messages delivered by God's work. Revelation 22 verse 16 I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So this verse has so much incredible depth. Christ being the root of David means he was there before David. That throne of David is actually God's throne. And that's evident even in the history of ancient Israel because God was actually Israel's first king before they ever had physical kings. God was their king. And eventually, those stubborn, rebellious people wanted to have literal, physical kings like every nation around them. But it was still God in charge of the nation. Even though he did allow them to have physical kings, including King David and all of his descendants, he was still the one supposed to be in charge of all of them. And he ruled by the Ten Commandments. There's a spiritual code, the Ten Commandments, that is still in effect today. And we must still strive to keep that code today. But God was the first king. David's throne existed before David did because it's actually God's throne. That's what it means when Christ says here that he is the root of David. But he also says he's the offspring of David. So Jesus Christ was a physical descendant of King David. You can actually look at the book of Ruth in the Bible. And you, could talk, you can look at 
the different generations, basically from Ruth going on through King David and eventually to Jesus Christ himself as a human being. But this promise or this statement as Christ being the offspring of David even goes beyond Christ's physical life. And that's just tying in some more with that promise of an eternal throne of David. He is a descendant of King David, not just physically, but spiritually. And Christ is prophesied throughout your Bible hundreds of times as returning to this earth very soon. And he will rule the earth very soon and eventually the entire universe. And he'll do all of that from the throne of David. That is the real significance of King David's throne. It's the very throne from which our Savior, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords will rule very soon. And that's what's so inspiring about this musical. If you could call it that, I'd say it's more of a music and dance production. There are some songs interspersed, but it is just a powerful display of the transitions of this throne. This throne is still in existence physically, and we even have... Uh, a lot of literature to tell you exactly where that throne is now. Besides the United States and Britain and Prophecy, we also have the new throne of David. That's another book available for free at thetrumpet.com. And you can prove where God's throne is today. And like I said, without this understanding from the Bible, you can't really think of a throne that's gone from Jerusalem to Ireland to Scotland to England and then to the United States. And yet that's what the Celtic throne is depicting. That's what this production depicts. There's a couple more shows tomorrow and on Wednesday in Branson, Missouri. Then there's another one in Edmond uh, this coming Sunday. And then one more in Edmond on the Tuesday after that. And there will be links in the show notes once this show becomes a podcast. Just to keep you up to date on all the dates and possibly if you want to buy tickets or even buy tickets to a live stream live stream to next Sunday's show. Certainly worth watching. It's deeply inspiring. And really, it's the type of it's the type of knowledge that changes our lives. We heard an excellent message as members of the Philadelphia Church of God recently about the Celtic throne. And in that message, the director of the show, Mr. Brad McDonald, said that this throne is your story, your history, your future. That's what Celtic throne is all about. And that is true of everyone who heard that message and everyone in the entire world, regardless of where you come from, what nation you live in or were born in. It is still your story, your history, your future, and your throne. How inspiring. 1 John 3, verse 3 says, And every man that has this hope in him 
purifies himself even as God is pure. That's really the type of inspiration we receive from a show like Celtic Throne, from knowing about the Davidic covenant, God's promise to King David of an everlasting kingly line that will culminate in the everlasting rule of Jesus Christ. When we have that kind of hope, we purify ourselves. We try to become more like God, thinking like him, living like he does. As it says in Matthew 5, verse 48, striving every day to become perfect because that is the way to true happiness, peace, and joy that only God can make available to us. So as you can see, this Celtic throne production is not just about a physical kingly line, but it's also about God making unbreakable promises. It's about a kingly line that still exists today. And it's about a line that will lead to the second coming of Jesus Christ, who will solve all of man's promises. That's the hope that lifts us up. And that is why God's work puts so much focus on David's throne. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 1130 a.m. Central Time.